Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your source for outdoor gear in interior Alaska. It's a locally owned, longtime Fairbanks business that I've shopped at since I was a kid, and they've always done a great job of carrying a wide variety of quality, proven gear that'll tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to. Frontier Outfitters always stays current with gear for the season, and whether you're bear baiting in the spring, fishing or dip netting in the summer, looking for game bags and gears for moose camp in the fall, or need to stock up on trapping lures, get a new spud bar, or just need some bait for your winter burbot sets, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, lots of guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as gun safes. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find your snow machine and ATV accessories like sleds and hitch pins, gun boots, hot grips, as well as a full selection of marine and boating parts and accessories. They really go out of their way to stock quality, useful equipment, and it's truly one of those great hometown sporting goods and hardware stores that every town needs to have. Whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on that never-ending home improvement project, or you just need to rehandle an axe, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location out in North Pole, so make sure you stop in there and tell them you heard about it on Tundra Talk. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area, whether it's residential, commercial, or just undeveloped property. The Hedgecocks have been active in the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s and have put together a team that really reflects the diverse needs of homebuyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home in general, buying land to build a home, and they also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home in Fairbanks. This is really a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water-holding tanks instead of wells, how much it'll cost to heat a given house, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're here to help you. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. The Hedgecock Group offices are on Noble Street in Fairbanks, and if you want to get in touch with them, visit www.fairbanksakhomes.com. That's how you do it. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel. Pretty excited this afternoon. Um, guide I've finally managed to track down and get on here, Master Guide Coke Wallace. It's good to good to get you on the podcast i've been been hearing about you for years and you're a good friend of my uncle and uh yeah thanks for coming over yeah we know a lot of people yeah <laughs> we're we're in, we're in the, we're in the same line of fun yep no nope. good people doing the same kind of stuff and it's uh and yeah the roads in, you, in, you end up bumping into each other eventually if you're in the right. same kind of stuff up here right it's i've a- watched your writing develop over the years i told you that i I've been reading and and following you some. I'm not a techno guy. I'm mostly just a reader. And I got that article about you from a good friend the other day that you had written uh, on the Predators. And I thought it was spot on and reached, just happened to know someone that had your sweatshirt on. Yeah. Well, that's funny because it was uh, the, uh, 
it was the the snow machine one that trees are for traction which it is my buddy frank was the one that told me how ah, you got to put that on there too and you were saying that that that's that's one of your sayings for years huh? yeah i've been telling clients for years when you start breaking loose on the ice just remember trees and traction both begin with a tr use them willows yep. spruce yep. whatever you got yeah yep. no well before yeah before we get too long man i'd like to uh you you run midnight sun safaris netting down there in healy and uh I mean, I guess as anything, what's your? I'd like to hear hear your background. Were you born up here? Grew up up here? Born in Texas and raised here since I was a little boy. My folks came up to work for the university. Nice. In 1972, so I've been here for most of my life, yeah. obviously. And uh, yeah, man, I've been, I've been very fortunate. Have a. When I was growing up, my brothers and I, we were on the outskirts of Fairbanks. We used to trap up and down the Chena River. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of the places that are neighborhoods now were our trap lines when we were kids. We were talking about that with yeah. with your uncle out here where you live. And, uh, yeah, it's been, been a blessed life. I've been yeah. very blessed. And uh, we wound up in Healy because uh, the sheep hunting's real good, the wolf hunting's real good the mm -hmm. tourism was real good you know i've, I've done a, every kind of tourism there is both consumptive and non-consumptive done uh taking people in, into the bush and, and back safely and about every conveyance there is horse snowmobile and atv foot etc etc yeah yeah that's quite a bit what um what got you into 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 the guiding kind of industry and, and helping people do that kind of stuff was it just because you like you liked to do it and wanted to yeah man i well we were all all of us kids in my family were were out outdoors we were right on the edge of fairbanks mm -hmm. back then and we were up and down the china river fishing and hunting and uh it was just a natural uh, extension. Actually, my family was, we were big into duck hunters. We've always been duck hunters, and I still in, enjoy duck hunting. That's yeah. a, another connection I have with your uncle yeah. and some other people. We're retriever people. We like Chesapeake Bay retrievers and uh, love duck hunting. And, and the guiding thing was just a natural uh, thing for me to go into. I got a degree from UAF back in the mid-'80s in criminal justice with a minor in political science and not much to do with that yeah and you know unless you want to the go same thing on. i got i've got an engineering degree that i don't use right so. right and uh you know besides my parents and my uncles and my grandparents and that the most influential people in in my life were guides that i had known and worked with and worked mm -hmm. for and uh going back bill wagaman john swiss the Branham brothers. Uh, I, I was real fortunate. I got to meet and work for a lot of the classy old time guides. Uh, Urban Rayhoy is a good friend of mine. Yeah. He's still. Yeah, he's still kicking around. Oh, man. Yeah, they got him in lockdown. He wants out. Oh, I'd love to spring him. But uh, yeah, he's he's something else, man. That guy guided uh, sheep into his 80s. I mean, guided him, went up yeah. the hill and helped kill the sheep. So did Bill Wagaman. So did some of those other old timers. So that's pretty impressive. If you can, if you can keep moving it, you can keep oh, doing yeah. it. Keep doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially consider you know someone that to, for to anyone who hasn't done it before. I mean, it's it's 
far from easy. It's a pretty overwhelming experience right. when you first first try to get into it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, it was. Uh, I, I really, I always enjoy hearing stories about you know Fairbanks back in that time that time frames. That's when my dad and Jerry were growing up, and I mean, it was you know right on the edge of the edge of civilization. You know, Jerry talk about after school, after elementary school, throwing a 12 gauge over the bike handlebars and riding out to Kramer's field to hunt cranes and geese and stuff like that. Right. The experimental fields along Geist Road. When we were kids, Geist Road was a lane and a half dirt road. There was old Texaco station along it and that was it. And, uh, you could hunt those experimental fields down there, uh, for waterfowl. And as the area grew up, it got to where you couldn't hunt it anymore. And, you know, and the birds are still there, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I've many, many times when I was in college, I'd drive into class early in the morning. I thought that I, the amount of money I've given to this institution, I ought to be able to cash in on a morning or two out there. But Yeah, let me put a pit blind and I'll give some of the proceeds back. The university could use the money. Yeah, fr- frankly, right now right. they sure could. And we all know the hunters are the best conservationists on the planet. Yep. So. Yep, that that personal involvement um i'm trying to think of all the things because man there's so many questions and stuff uh now you're you're um i guess you well you've done it all sort of different ways but big time into horses for your a lot of your your hunts and operations still correct yep yeah we uh well that area has been traditionally that uh wood river yannert's uh 20a Central Alaska Range area has been a, traditionally a horseback hunting area, going back to Carl Anderson, yeah, and Bill Wagaman, Lynn Castle, and whatnot. And uh, it's uh, it's a good way to get around, man. They can still go places. ATVs and snowmobiles will will never go, you know. Yeah, uh, there is a danger factor. <laughs> yeah, no, that's but, and because my Jerry had because um, Jerry ran out. My uncle ran outfitting an outfitting business for a while he had horse him and tracy had horses for a while and uh it's i can definitely see some of the advantages why yeah why go over like some of the yeah some of the advantages of horses versus well they're a lot of work man yeah i mean that's what it would say you're not putting them away like your riverboat or your snow go or your atv or whatnot yeah they're your round work uh Alaska is not a big agricultural state, you know, no. they're trying, but, uh, get, getting, just getting feedstuffs for them and, and then horse products you need like horseshoes and stuff is a struggle. Yeah. No one carries it up here anymore. There's not enough of us and the hay, you can mostly get what you need locally, but they have good years and bad years. You know, Alaska yeah. farmers, God bless them, man. They're, That's they're tough, up yeah. against it. If they're lucky, they get two cuttings a year and they're, mm-hmm fighting it fighting it but uh you can also ride right up on animals which cannot be a good thing all the time when it's mom and a bunch of bear cubs and they start popping all around you in the willows but uh you know moose especially and uh a moose colored horse of what they call a bay horse Mm -hmm. moose walk right up to them that's so there's some nice advantages there yeah my wife had horses when she was a kid and she said that it just terrified them poor mares in the in Oh, late yeah. September, October, the bull moose just chasing them around right. everywhere. Yeah, and I had a client one year that uh, we were moose hunting, and where I go in and, and tie the horses out in this little grassy swell uh, while we're glassing for moose. 
a young bull would show up every day. And he was a good-looking moose, but he wasn't legal. He was three by three, nice tall canoe paddles with yeah. seven or eight points up each side, real good-looking like off the moose head bottle, but he wasn't 50 inches, and he didn't have four stickers on one side. And the hunter tried for a week to convince me that he was good, we yeah. should take him. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he ain't good. But he was in love with my little mare, and she was having none of them. Oh, man. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was, uh, and I think I've, I've talked about it on the podcast, them, them bulls sometimes, they, uh, I mean, I, I shot one trying to cozy up to a 3D elk target that my dad had in his backyard Right. <laughs> one time, yeah, but no, it's, uh, it always, I could always, especially for something like sheep hunting, if you've got um, conducive country, I could see horses being huge, just for covering country between, you know, getting to spots to right. glass. And and you're rested when you start up the hill. You, you know, you haven't walked 12 miles from where you, you got dropped off. Yeah. And then you see the sheep, you've ridden there. Yeah. So you're fresh. You tie the horses as high as you can get them on the mountain on a safe little plateau and take off on your stock. Yeah. So Definitely saves you tens of thousands of steps. Yeah, that's because yeah, I've done, done things the hard way plenty of times. Um, is uh, what kind of stuff do you got to think about when you're like, when you're running horses in the mountains? Because some, you know, it's just a an area that I with no experience in. And I'm sure there's certain things that a normal person would think, oh, we can go anywhere we want, but you got to watch out for this and that. And well, and. In those glacial rivers, especially the Wood River and the yeah. Manor, there is quicksand. I've never lost a horse in quicksand, but I've had some in quicksand, and it can be a pretty spooky, crappy ordeal, especially at night. Yeah. You know, when you're traveling down the river, you just hope the horse picks a, a good route. But those rivers change all the time, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, the channel will s s jump side to side sometimes in hours, and... uh so that's a spooky thing that you got to think about and and try and look out for. But like you're coming home in the dark with the sheep, you yeah, you're hoping that your horse picks a better way yeah. home than what he did. But uh, the bogs and stuff when you're moose hunting, there yeah. there are places where you're telling your hunter, please don't shoot him there, man. Let him come this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because and that's you know a phenomenon. But that's something I you know you try to explain to people who've only you know maybe hunted in the western u.s or whatever where you can you can just walk anywhere it's it's right it's hard you know dry ground even if it's brushy it's dry ground and so much stuff up here it's it's not actually what you're walking on is not the ground you know right. that that floating bog i mean even the actually both the moose we killed this year were kind of on it one was more than the others and i we were able right. to get a four-wheeler to the one who died in, in a swamp hole and yanked him out right but by the time we got him all worked on we could tell that we were not on the ground right. either you know so i could see you know because i've i've had my foot go through sometimes on those and you don't know how deep they are right. i imagine with a horse it's even yeah i and, and i've even found him at elevation before in the south side of the alaska range riding at about 47 or 4800 feet up above boulder creek wow. off the susitna I sunk three horses, and there's nothing around. Because if you sink a horse, typically it's just like an ATV. You need to find some small brush and twigs and whatever to put under, preferably some trees of a little bit of size. But we were up in the middle of nowhere, high alpine. There wasn't a, a blueberry bush around. Yeah. And the last thing I was expecting riding along was to all of a sudden hit 
a gigantic sinkhole was just a little swell up on the mm. ridge line above Boulder Creek, and frickin' I had three horses buried right to their eyeballs. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, you've probably been through through enough of those where each each time you get in a jam like that, or at least in my mind, it's, it seems like it's such a huge ordeal. And then looking back over the years, it probably <laughs> you probably couldn't even count the number of times stuff like that, and you just deal with it one. Right. One step at a time, I get. I would guess, huh? Well, and especially the more excited they get, you need to. Someone's got to stay calm, and you are yeah. the leader, man. They're looking to you for so you get off and you unpack them and you help them as best you can and encourage them. But yeah, and I, and I've had some horses hurt themselves in bogs like that. You know, where all of a sudden you don't know it, and they can it just like you or I can injure ourselves in a bog. And you'll find them anyway. I've down on the Alaska Peninsula, Kodiak Island. Mm-hmm. Prince William Sound. I, I I was with a bear hunter on the Alaska Peninsula one year, and I was telling him we had chased this big bear and lost our race to the corner, as happens. Mm-hmm. And we were walking back to where we came from, inevitably not taking the same route. And uh, I just said to him, I said, do we need to watch our ass around here, walk exactly where I'm walking? We're on a floating bog. And I took about two more steps and went right to the only thing that stopped me was my armpits. Oh, jeez. And he was laughing so hard. He was good, good sport about it, but he was laughing so hard that it didn't give me a hand for a little bit. And I was just covered. And my, my feet weren't touching the bottom. I was covered in just the nastiest, stinky. It's that black. Black rotten. and orange, horrible smell and mud. And it's, I'm, in, I'm inundated because I sat there for minute or so anyhow yeah. while he composed himself to help me out he goes you sure you want me to walk exactly where you walk <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah you can run in that anywhere and in yeah. this country there's people that have lost atvs and that kind of stuff lots of caterpillar tractors yeah. and stuff have walked out and been engulfed yep so, no it, it doesn't take much it it's almost you know, every time I go to a place where it is hard ground, it's it's a little bit liberating. Almost right. like I can right. I can just walk anywhere, and it's uh, yeah. But yeah, no, that's something I've always thought. And there's really not too many guys using horses for sheep hunting that much up here. I mean, it was kind of the Maybe, that was kind yeah. of the, the probably because aside from places where you could get plains in a lot of country, you know, that was the only way you could right you could go about your business really. Yeah, that's how a lot of the country down there was opened up, especially Mount McKinley National Park. Yeah, and it was, uh, it in that kind of hunt would remind me. I mean, that's how they used to went the back in the days when they used to do those big expedition type hunts, where you know, just to get there took so long right. that you'd end up doing a month long hunt, kind of like that. Uh, um, what's that book that um, Yukon trophies? You, yep, won Yukon and trophies lost. won and lost. Yep, three sheep limit. Yep. That was all right. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, what? Uh, I tend to do this sometimes myself. And I, they did it. My, with, train, train of my, my train of thought doesn't leave the station. <laughs> they did it with canvas and leather and wool. Yeah. Let's talk about some, some tough guys, you know. And that's another thing I'm mesmerized by, you know, so even there's some of the guys – Jerry knew, you know, around just hardcore sheep hunters back in the day that, you know, no tent, no, just a piece of visqueen to roll up in at night. Right, right. You know, one guy he talked, I can't remember who it was, just bring a poncho and just kind of lean up against his pack frame up against a rock and tuck his head in his poncho and 
go to sleep. Right. <laughs> Tougher than me, that's for sure. But that's yeah. how that back in those days, that's how you got a thirty pound pack or a twenty five pound right. pack. Right. Yeah, there's been a lot of them over the years. Uh Frank Entsminger. Yeah. He's been killing big sheep about exclusively since the early seventies. Yeah. <laughs> Steady, <laughs> yeah, and still yeah. does well. And and Sue, his wife, but she, it was not but a couple of years ago. She she was still guiding sheep hunters. Yep, yeah. She just retired a few years ago, yeah. and she's she, she's not a big lady. She's no. just tougher than nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, uh, yeah, she's killed a, a, a lot of big rams. Yeah, a lot. Yep. Yep. No, it's uh, I do. Yeah, I get. I get. A little envious sometimes. I mean, I can't complain. I think we've still got it pretty doggone good up here. Um, but I get envious think, hearing about the good old days sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. Well, they were they were a little harder on the predators back when uh, the government trust, trusted the private individual to, you know, help manage the game. The game yeah. managers and the private individuals work together a lot better. We have a good fishing game now, yeah. but... They have to play politics from time to time, especially w- w- with the whole predator thing. Yeah. And, uh, I've been in the middle of that for over a quarter of a century, too. And like I told you, you know, it's brought some pretty ugly conversations to the Walls House. But uh, it's ridiculous to me that we have a park that was brought to you by sheep hunters and they don't have a dedicated sheep biologist. It was never intended to be a wolf sanctuary. No. And in the old days, in the good old days, man managed the animals well, it hard. Was, it was up to a certain point that the National Park Service, like all those, their employees were, I don't mandated to shoot wolves oh, anytime yeah, they, they saw oh, yeah. them. And poison them. And poison mm-hmm. them, yeah. They, uh, it was, and I don't know when that shift happened, you know, the Park Service and now is, is pretty much an exclusively anti-hunting, anti-human, hands-off involvement type of thing. And they, you know, I mean, I think predators are cool. I think they're awesome. They belong on the landscape. Right. But it's 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 just a, a weird obsession and right. infatuation with them. We love them. We don't worship them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. And it's like I was t- telling you, you know, the— this balance, you know, people talk about the ecosystem being a balance, and it's only balance, and it's only a stable balance when people are involved in. Right. And otherwise, it's, it's a feast and famine structure. Yeah, it is. And even the old timers wrote, you know, wrote about that and observed right. that it's, you know, a big, huge population swings. That's how nature takes care of itself. You know, it's it's not like all the wolves are going to disappear, all the caribou are going to disappear. But if you want balance, you know, you you got to take care of it. Right. But yeah, that uh, that whole especially down you know down in your area, and that's and unfortunately you kind of got wrapped into being the center of a lot of that controversy. I mean, I remember what's the article in the Seattle paper about you know you'd snare snared a handful of wolves and the Park Service is crying because they you know oh it's the the lead female of the pack or whatever right. you know they're wolves they're just gonna breed the more right. you know right. And they're not the leader for that long. No. You know, and they like to use the excuse for their buffer zone extension, whatever you want to call it. They like to use the excuse of 
it's all one ecosystem, you know. And and they even when they got their first buffer zone, the ink wasn't dry, and they wanted more yet. You know, they wanted to include yeah. the whole Yanner drainage because it's really part of the park ecosystem. Well, some of those park wolves get caught over by Dot Lake, and, and, and recently, yeah. Uh, Wayne Crossan caught a big white male maybe three or four years ago over there. And they come and go and ebb and flow. It, and for people who don't know, Dot Lake is a long ways from Denial National Park. A long Park. ways from <laughs> Denial National Park. That's a fact. Yep. Uh, and you can't protect them all. And, no. and, and you're not supposed You shouldn't, you're not you shouldn't supposed be to. able to. Right. You know. You're not supposed to. Yeah. It's supposed to be a park for sheep. If you'll start growing sheep... You'll have your wolf problem you're looking for. You haven't had a dedicated sheep biologist in forever. Yeah. I think it's 40 or 50 years. So it's not supposed to be a wolf sanctuary. Sheep hunters brought you that park for sheep. Yeah. And, and that, that was the, the originally, when they founded that park, it was to protect sheep. that sheep habitat. By sheep hunters, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. And part of it, part of it, I think, you know, is and they, they're complaining and whining about this stuff. You know, they're, they they often, it seems like they often say, oh, people are, the tourists are wanting to see wolves every time. Well, I think that's a mis, it's a misconception of a tourist to expect to see wolves, wolves all the time. Because if you're in a, the way I look at, you know, if you're in a place where you're seeing wolves all the time, there's not going to be much else because there are too many wolves. That's just not the right. nature of wolves right. to be so densely populated and hanging around so much that you're seeing them all the time. It's just not their nature. And there's problems if there's that many of them. Right. As far as other animals. I mean, that's, yeah. that's my opinion. On right. it. But No. And, and, uh, they're, you're never going to get them all. Anyhow, they didn't get nope. them all when they were trying hard, nope. you know, and, uh, it, it, it's just, you know, we, we have dominion over the animals. They like the, the, the left likes to say that, you know, you can't farm wildlife. I don't think of it as farming. I, I call it dominion. It talks about it in the owner's manual for the human animal. And I think that we should manage for everyone to have an opportunity to shoot a sheep or moose or caribou. Yeah. I don't care if you're from Fairbanks or Helsinki. We should have enough animals on the landscape. We have the ability to manage them under the North American model. And and we have a good group of biologists in this state who, by and large, do a good job when they're not having to play politics and patty cake over predators that people don't understand. It's like what's going on right now down, I think it's Admiralty Island or something. They got too many freaking wolves, and yeah. and they got a whole bunch of them. You can't count wolves in a rainforest. No. Most, you know, so if they're catching as many as they say they're catching, there's a whole lot more wolves there than you think there are because... You don't catch them all, man. They, yeah, no. They're you know slippery as a Clinton under oath, I like to say, <laughs> and dodgy. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they're in. You know, my experience wolf trapping was an exercise in frustration a lot of the times. <laughs> a, yeah. a game of persistence and 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 being witty. It, it's fun trapping trapping them, and you know, I wouldn't say I hunted them much, and and. Which and that's something something else because you guys you do so like winter predator trapping and hunting type excursions and stuff like too that kind of take yeah. people along on that too don't you yeah mm-hmm. and uh, how you know, how does that go because I I mean if anyone asks me because I've been asked a few times you know like about wolf hunting specifically and I'm like well if you're not hanging out of a super cub you know right. it's, it's it's you're not hunting them effectively yeah. right 
Well, you can call them a lot, and sometimes they're real susceptible to calling. Sometimes yeah. they're not. And I've seen wolves come to the call aggressively. I've seen wolves go away, you know, because just like all animals, some are brave and brazen mm-hmm. and bold, and some are shy and timid. Uh, a lot of times I can get them to talk to me, but can't get them to sh- show their face all the time. And then, you know, you... I've had guys that we I play the call once and there's two wolves in our face and he yeah. thinks, oh man, this is going to be a great week. I'm like, hey, just relax. The next one you see, probably wearing a necklace of mine or a, or a foot bracelet. Yeah. Uh, but so we just run. I got three different trap lines that I run and we do a lot of calling and we do mm-hmm. a lot of trapping and snaring. And most of the wolves I get are with traps and snares. But when you're out there, the more you're out there, the more exposure you have, the better chance you have. It's very rare you're going to drive up on a wolf. I mean, yeah. I don't hear well at all. I hear you coming on Stromobile typically five minutes or more before I see you. So, you know, mm-hmm. the condition's got to be just right for you to drive up on. Yeah. I mean, I think wolf. I've always figured that the, the biggest challenge of calling wolves probably is to get one with an earshot of your call. <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've tried it a little bit with, with very little luck, but you know, it's it, like, it's a persistence thing. And I think I was spoiled a little bit growing up in Colorado, you know, calling coyotes, whereas you, down in the lower 48, you know, a lot of places you have a much higher predator density than you do here. You know, it's it's not the same thing. as right. even, even coyotes up here, you know, you got pockets of stuff or, you know, you have, a, you know, a couple packs of wolves that may, and a few singles that may be in however many hundreds of square miles and wherever they're at at a given point. Yep. Yeah, I figure I'm, we, about one for 15, one to 17 stands for every time you have one come in. That's about how many that for we wolves. do. It's that bad. That's, yeah. that, well, and that's, that's honestly better than I would expect. But it to you got to stay after it, you know, you got to stay after it. And then I just have spots I know that they like to travel and I got mm-hmm. nice spots to call that have been successful for me over the years from being in, you know, on the landscape for 29 years. I know the areas that yeah. I'm in real well. Uh, but again, they are some crafty creatures, man. They're tough to outsmart. Yeah. And, uh, and when you do outsmart one, you don't want people calling you up and giving you a bunch of shit about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a couple of my best days of field in the Central Alaska Range became some shitty times ahead months later because of the fallout over the stupidity yeah. of it all you know and and you know having been out on the on the train line it isn't very often you can sneak up on a group of wolves and and get a number of them no and when you do that's a great thing and then you know when people make a, a shitty thing out of it it's just oh yeah it's it's, it's unwarranted and i don't yeah. know you know what you do there's people that are a little bit on the I don't know if submissive is the right word side side of things where, you know, I, I don't think we should hide what we do. You no. know, I've it's, decided to be offensive enough for all yeah. of us. That's the tactic yeah. I've taken because, you know, con- conservative people tend to be respectful of other people's do whatever you want. You know, I don't like video games and hacky sack, but if that's yeah. your gig, have after it. I don't yeah. care. I'm over here doing my thing. Yep. Uh, you know, we're more of a, we are more of accommodating people and they ain't. 
Yeah. It's our way or no way, you know, and so that's it's one of the reasons I came up with some of the shirts that I've come up with with the uh, Visit Alaska this that's, summer, the wolf gets it. That's what I, because that was, uh, I, I saw that poster and uh, I think it was down at Owl's, down at the tannery. He had that poster up a while, years ago. And because uh, that was a big deal. It was after one of those incidents, they were trying to make tourists boycott. Oh Alaska. yeah, they were, yeah, and they were really targeting my wife's business, you know, and that's what at the time we were doing a summer trail ride business yeah. on Stampede Trail, and and you know get some ugly fallout phone calls from people, and it's like, yeah. Well, and the un- the unfortunate thing is these people, it's it's not like they even care. They may care enough to call you and leave you a nasty message, but. The, they don't care to like be to even involve themselves in the environment or put the time out there just right learning right. and experiencing that environment whether they want to hunt or not you know it's it's just a convenient snip snap you know impulse reaction without any kind of experience or knowledge about what they're talking about you know right. and that's the frustrating thing because there's nothing you can you can say or, or do to redeem yourself in their eyes and you don't really you shouldn't have to you know yeah but, no, I, I, i'd rather spend time training a puppy anyhow yeah <laughs> it's time better spent but uh that whole thing you you alluded to earlier uh since 1980 uh, it's it's been more of a us us and them thing since the anoka act yeah the feds kind of went off the rails and they they become protectionists, stay off the grass yeah. type people. You know, that whole addition that was added to where I live out to the west and north of me, we're supposed to be able to use that traditionally. Yeah. But they don't allow it. And it's it's just one of the things that hopefully could get straightened out in the future. But they haven't been able to find subsistence since 1980. I don't have a lot of faith in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh... It's unfortunate, and it's got to be especially frustrating having having been here through through that. You know, it was before my time, and I've heard about it plenty. You know, like there, people don't understand. You know, people will come visit here and just, you know, maybe with the mentality of, oh, well, you know, this is how it is. They go visit Denali and go on the bus and hear all the stuff that the whoever kid they hired and gave them a script to read. Right. You know, all the stuff they say, and I mean, I've heard some pretty. Oh, Pretty yeah. bad stuff, but you know it, it's all oh, the Alaska residents are bad. They're right. wanting to destroy this and type that type of stuff, which it really happens, you know. But people will come and hear this, and they think, "Oh, well, th- this is the way it is." It's the way it and right. kind of the, the way it is and the way it's always been. So, you know, it, they don't people don't know any better, right? You know, so I can see having seen a lot of these changes, how just infuriating that's got to be. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to get any better anytime no. soon, but hey, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Like I yeah. said, I'm, I try and be offensive enough for all of us because most of y'all have too good of manners, and, and I've put up with a lot of shit from people, so I like giving it back. That was uh, that wolf t-shirt. That was the second or third collared wolf that I got, and yeah. it just so happens that was when there was a buffer zone, mm-hmm. that wolf was. Uh, yeah, which if people aren't familiar with this uh, buffer zone re- referring to it's it was it's state land isn't it outside yeah, outside yeah. of denali national park not the stampede not even, corridor yeah not it. even not even federal land that um 
it, for a while they had blocked to like all wolf hunting and wolf trapping yeah. basically in there. So to protect the- My trap line. Yeah. Coke strap line. <laughs> thanks, Tony Knowles. That was another great movie you didn't do. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyhow, I got to the trap site at the same time that Gordy Haber, the ex biostitute for Friends of Animals, got there. Oh. And I was like, oh, man. So I said, well, better take some pictures. I got an idea for uh, I'm going to get a lot of shit over this. I might as well make a little money. And my wife thought I was insane, but I've sold lots of those T-shirts. Do you still have any? Oh, yeah, I still. I'll have to get you one. Yeah, but uh, it was uh, in response to this boycott and it's right. holding the wolf with what right. a three fifty seven. <laughs> no, it's a little. It's just a little twenty two, and yeah. and uh, yeah, and I got my hand over her collar so you can't see that. But she was the queen of the park, and Gordy's over the top of me while we're taking the pictures. Flying that was around, the best yeah. part, yeah. And yeah, he uh, don't miss him, but uh, no. Well, and he was one, you know, kind of a rabid, ra- rabid wolf lover, wolf lover, and and I I was alluding, and I I. I don't know if this is the same story that I, because I always heard from Jerry, the, the story that always stuck out in my mind about you was something about seeing him out there circling outside of the park and you knew where them wolves were going or. Right. Well, he doesn't, yeah. his pilot doesn't practice his turns around to point. So when, yeah, when we'd see him circling, we'd go over there. I'm not the only guy that's done that, that lived around the park. The Cantwell boys that did it back when he was around. Yeah. And so, you know, just like uh, the guy petting the brown bears down on the peninsula, Gordy was responsible for uh, the death of more wolves than he ever helped. That's for sure. Yeah. Plus, he was harassing them with his airplane, in my opinion. When yeah. you're you're buzzing wolves with a 185, that's what he flew around in typically. Yeah. And that they you don't know, like they it. don't they don't no they don't like it. They yeah. don't like it. And he's running right into people. He doesn't Jeez. like that. No. I know that was you out there. Yeah, that's right. That was me. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, appreciate the heads up. Keep yeah. up the good work. <laughs> that should be yeah. illegal. Yeah, it should be illegal for you to harass them. Yeah, but, that's uh, yeah. There's I, a lot of self righteousness that that goes on, you know, and in, in in that it's and it's kind of sadly it, it shows up in a lot of stuff, but uh, kind of an ends justifies the means type of mentality that no matter. No matter what I do, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to beat you type of deal. Right. You know what I mean? And if I disagree with you, at worst case scenario, I'm going to legislate you and your activity out of existence. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, like I said, I think we have a really good game management system here in Alaska that allows mm-hmm. public participation, which is nice. I think we got a good group of biologists and, and uh, fisheries people who, by and large, do a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, I think most of them are utilizers of the resource, too, which I think if you're going to be a biologist, you surely should at least fish or trap or hunt or maybe do a couple or all three of them. Yeah. And it, and it uh, just that, that personal involvement with it means something. You right. know, it's not just number numbers on your computer or, or flying over. You right. know, it's, and, I you know, I know... I feel, and a lot of people feel, you know, we that it's we have a vested interest in in how well this stuff do, these animals do and are carried into the future, and you know, we want to preserve preserve the opportunities we have and hand them to our kids. You right. know, yeah. But no, I agree with you. I think there's 
some pretty good, I think a lot good biologists. And I think a lot of them do as very much as they possibly can to, to, to aid in that. Right. Manage the game for sustainable. Yeah. We should all be able to have the opportunity to, to go harvest a sheep or a moose or yep. or what have you. Yep. Yeah, we have the ability to do it. Yep. Um, what the heck else? Um, yeah. Sheep stories. You have any, I need to just learn, shut up and shut up and let you talk. I, stories, I bet yeah, you got a lot of sheep stories. I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know. Um, what was your, what was your first sheep hunt? Like when did you first go sheep hunting? I know my, in the center, it in, was in, in the Northern central Alaska range. Uh, I was a teenager and, uh, 17 years old, 16 years old, 17, I believe I was. And we, uh, me and Sam Freeze went out. Yeah. Got a sheep. Got turned around for a few days too, but we wound up finding our way back eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Temporarily uh, disoriented. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not lost if you don't care where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, yeah, there's something to be said for that yeah. for sure. We had sheep and berries. Sheep what and else berries. did we need? Yeah, as long as you yeah. you got some lots food. of good water. Yep. Yep. No, it's uh. My yeah. guides all think I sleep out on the hill too much, which I have a lot, yeah. and and it's a lot of times on the way back. But especially as I've gotten older, man, stumbling home in the dark is that's that's tough for a young guy and for an old guy. It ain't no good. My guys make fun that I s- still wind up, you know, bunked out next to a sheep somewhere, but usually I'll at least get back to the willows where you can have a little willow fire. Yeah. Eat some fresh sheep and wait for it to get light out, put some fresh socks on and Yeah. Go well that's broke. I mean maybe that's just your, your age and experience showing too. You know, it's so you take it for granted, but man, it's it's be so easy to get hurt just right. doing stupid you know, I'm still constantly learning stuff and and it's just, you know, being paying attention whether it's paying attention to what you're doing all the time or 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 just you catch yourself doing foolish stuff that you, you're right. like i'm just gonna hurt myself and uh i don't know it's it's kind of a little bit liberating i think when you you kind of accept that hey you know i might be a little uncomfortable but there's no loss as i got to be back to the tent right by morning you know right. if the weather's decent yeah them horses are tied up good they'll be there in the morning and- yeah you got to eat that tenderloin pretty quick anyhow or they dry out so yeah that's great willow yeah. rock fair yeah is it next I, to a warm cave you know uh a lot of a lot of times you can find a place where you're somewhat out of the weather even if it's shitty get a little fire going and eat some fresh sheep meat wait for it to get light out and you know you're yeah. recharged and what's your favorite way to cook it on cook it on a rock just stick on the fire or I like to stick over the fire, but sometimes guys are so whipped out they can't even hold a damn stick up, you know, and so I've already eaten, and here you go, you just put a rock next to the fire, but I prefer the stick, yep. Yeah, I've started, well, I used to, well, my dummy, I'd bring a pan and and fry strips, you know, fry slices, you know, Uh kind of cut it crossways and, and fry it, and then... I'd, a, I'd dumb enough to carry the pan, and then it would get all that sheet meat so greasy, you know, it would get to where I couldn't hardly clean the dang thing. Right. And it just piss me off. So I, I end up starting, <laughs> takes a while. Some, I've had a few rocks explode on me, but right. if I can find a dry, flat river type rock and 
and set it up with kind of funnel the with build a fire under it that kind of funnels the air through there and mm-hmm. just get that rock good and hot and melt some fat on there and that's that's been my favorite my favorite way to go. A couple of years ago, I was actually when I was getting that ram out, I got I got back to my four wheeler and I, I had made plans. I was going to be eating eating lunch in toke by two o'clock in the afternoon and was having some major some issues with my four wheeler wouldn't run. I got so pissed off at it. I had to just let it sit and walk around the willows where I couldn't see the, see the damn thing and get a fire going and cook up some sheep. But, geez, yeah, a lot of a lot of uncomfortable nights. Which I don't know. And you you've seen just the equipment come a long ways from when you when you started. Oh yeah, you know, they're it's like what what Spotting is sheep hunting equipment especially <laughs> man and and the binoculars with the range finders and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, the old uh, days were good, but man, those range finders and all that—it takes all the guesswork out of it for you. Where you used to have to guess for your client, you know, guesstimate how far it is, and and sometimes it's tough, even oh, you know, yeah. between two, three hundred. You know, it's it, it's deceiving, and sometimes those damn sheep can just blend in, and you'd think, you know, eighteen white sheep in a on a green, right? Whatever they lay down. It was when I when I shot this sheep, I'd come down come down over the top of them crawling down and they had been all standing up the last time i'd seen them and i peeked over the rock figure and i'd be close enough and they it took me like five minutes to find them and they were laying down right there in play right, <laughs> right there in plain sight okay I, I heart skipped a few beats there i was pan- i was panicking thinking that they'd blown out of the country or something but yeah no i imagine spotting scopes it just makes saves you thousands of steps yeah even since like the first the first time i went i borrowed one from my uncle jerry that was you know about a 40 year old redfield and now you know with i use a swarovski one that there's just no comparison right not even not even close (laughs) right yeah and they're getting better all the time and all the technical gear the nice lightweight equipment that's available to us everything has could just come leaps and bounds yeah stuff that stuff that dries out quick packs up small the puffy jackets and stuff and yeah yeah because when you do get older you stay out more you don't make it back to where you intended to that's one thing i've discovered so you need to have all your stuff to hunker down yeah do you carry any of them little little tarp shelters or anything like that to pop up if you need to no i got one of those uh they're called a uh, Wolverine suit. They're from Norway. Hmm. Henrik Wessel uh, worked for me for years and had them and, and uh, turned me on to them. And they're a really good alpine uh, camo pattern. It's like a quilted tarp. Yeah. And it's got sleeves that zip open for you to put your your uh, arms out. And you can you can absolutely zip the thing up like a sleeping bag, and and and, hmm. it, and they're big, king size one. You and I c- could survive a night in it. Oh wow! Yeah, is it ins- it's insulated? They're insulated. Too, yeah, it, it's a quilted insulate, but it's an and it's a nice fabric, not as uh, waterproof as I would like. But I carry a big poncho to put over top of it if it's really crappy. But I've slept under it with more than one sheep hunter before. You know, three yeah. three guys is tight, but. 
Depends and on how friendly cold, you are. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you offer a guy the tarp, he looks at you like I'm like, buddy, don't even. You know, we have a rule at midnight sun safaris: pull the pole or hold the hole, but no pull the hole. <laughs> so, yeah, and and a lot of times they're like, no, I'm not. I'll, I'll be fine. I say, yeah, we'll see how fine you are in an hour or two. You know, when you're on top of the mountain and it's snowing yeah. or raining, especially if it's snowing there, and they're like, okay. I want to come under there and freeze my ass off. Yeah, I know. It's not going to be that great under here, but it's going to be better than it is out there. Take my word on that. Yeah. Boy, for me, one of the biggest things has been getting one of them, the air, the air sleeping pads. Mm-hmm. As I just can't, I, I stay warmer. I can't sleep on the ground like I used to, used to be able to. I just hurt everywhere. Right. But uh, hopefully that's. Not a sign of things. No, it probably is a sign of things to yeah. come. He winks at me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get any easier. That's why I I will I would hope that I could be doing the sheep hunting, like I said, Urban and Bill Wagaman and some of them old guys were guiding sheep hunters into their eighties. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. What uh? What do you tell you know? You get clients because I'm sure. I don't know how many. I imagine a large percent of them ask pretty much the same questions as far as it comes to preparing themselves or mentally prepared. You know, I mean, I. What seems to me, once you've done done that stuff for so long, you just know what you're getting into, and it's easier to easier to prepare. I mean, what do you tell tell folks that are asking those those types of questions? Well, you know, a lot of the question is, well, how how long is it going to take? Have you know, is we're going to be out there for days? Or it's like, man, I do 10-day hunts. Hopefully it only takes two or three. I like the one-day ones a lot. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And typically I say it's going to be five to seven hours of pretty arduous uphill climbing from mm-hmm. the time we leave the horse to the time you pull the trigger. If you're real lucky, it'll be less than that. If you're not so lucky, it might be 36 or 40-some hours of climbing. You've done that where you're oh, going yeah. over hill and dale, and it's like, well, they're there, and they're going over. They don't know we're here. We just might as well stay after. Or the stock doesn't work out, and right. you got to climb down and do it again. Or weather moves in. Yep. You know the fog and the snow, and and you, you gotta be you gotta be able to hang in there. That's the thing, you know. And as a guide, being a cheerleader is your most important. Yeah, role. You gotta convince them they can do it. And most hunters, man, they're driven people. They they'll do it, you know. And 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 uh, that's the kind of people that we are. We're gonna we're gonna do. It. I I haven't had too many guys ever quit on me and. 29 years of doing it on my own and another 10 of doing it with for other guides so it's we're not that hunters aren't that kind of people (laughs) yeah yeah no especially of going through what you know what you got to get through to get out there and do it it's right you know it's and it you know it can be discouraged there's well you will be discouraged at times i'd say yeah you know you get kicked in the dick plenty of times doing it but if just persistence you know it seems like Right, and they're ultra elated at the end, man. It's a big accomplishment. Yeah. I've had we've had a lot of guys. I had a guy last year who's a retired uh, oil field guy from Houston. He struggled and he missed a couple of sheep with one of my guides. What's last year wasn't a year to be missing sheep. No, but he worked his butt off for nine days hard, and he finally got one. And uh, you know, it was he said it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but. It feels good. Yeah. yeah, he had a couple of good young guides who were, you know, convinced him to stick in there and stay after it. That's what you got to do. Uh, 
Like I said, the one and two day hunts are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, they are your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple that it's like last last hour of the last day type of thing. You know, you just you, if soon as you soon as you punch that clock and clock out, you're you're done. But, right. You know, if you can hang in there, there's all sort of thing. You never know what's going to happen. And it seems like more often than not, something does happen, whether it's sheep hunting or moose hunting. Oh or, yeah. You know, if you just hang in there and put the and keep putting the time in. Eventually, eventually something's gonna gonna roll your way, you know. Oh yeah, and we and we've had on several occasions we we team up and help each other, you know. When mm-hmm. once uh, once one guy's got a sheep down, then the client if he needs it, he's got a second guide, you know, and and maybe even a second Wrangler packer. We make it a team effort, and I've had many occasions where the guy kills his ram on the change day, the 11th day of the hunt, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you're here, you spent all this money, the boys want to go, they found some, so let's go and go and get it done, man. And that's uh, that's the kind of people hunters are. Heck yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's talk about fulfilling people people that want their whole 10 days of their, their 10 day hunt, you know. Right. But yeah, um, what the heck else? I should have wrote down a big list of questions for you is what I should have done. Most everything they've said about <laughs> me on the internet's wrong. Is wrong, yeah. Right. No, Complete I would falsehoods. I've never tied a wolf over the hood of any of my vehicles. That was one of the that was that one of was the one of the ones that's oh yeah, and it's got a life of its own, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I drove through Gordy's camp, which no, I never wasted my time to seek Gordy out. Yeah. Didn't need to. Yeah. He was busy seeking out the same thing I was after. So, but, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of stupid things out there. And unfortunately that after you tell a lie so many times, people think it's the truth. Yeah. Well, and people, you know, people that are, you, and we're in a day, day and age when you can say, when anybody can say anything and there's, you know, right. And no, you know, if the people that don't know, know better, um, there's no reason to believe otherwise sometimes so it's kind of yeah. kind of unfortunate but uh did uh you, did you were telling me that you the year you moved out there was the year that um McCandless walked McCandless out to the bus yeah went out in the bus which uh they they it was this year that they choppered it away helicoptered that thing out of there which it's kind of i don't know it's in, it's in a, a bittersweet way. thing but you know, people were dying, dying trying, trying to get to... out there, you know, and, I, and I've taken hundreds of people out there over the years, mm-hmm. uh, and I never advertised to do it. I wasn't that excited about it, but I'd rather you pay me to take you out there than to me have to come get you for free, which about seven or eight times out of 10, I would be the guy that the Had authorities would call to go look for whoever's missing, you know, and uh, I'd rather you just pay me and then... You know, it, and have a safe experience. Yeah. yeah, getting to the bus is real cool, but getting back's even better. Yeah. So, and I, I'll get you back. Yeah. No, it's uh, but it was uh, you know I know like bittersweet, like you said, because uh, I you know it was I know Jerry and my dad and he was a kid. They used that used that bus as their hunting camp for mm-hmm. a lot of years. They drive their old trucks across the tech back in there in like late September, October, whenever, whatever time frame after the water dropped down in the fall. And, uh, but the place isn't what it was. It's kind of what, what it ends up boil, boiling no. down to, you know, it's, I, I don't have any personal nostalgia for it cause I wasn't 
part of that, but guys that did, I could see it. Eh, just it used to be hunting camp, but that's not what it was anymore. Right. Well, and there, there's actually I I know of, I'm sure there's a lot more, but I know of four different buses that have been drug out into the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, for hunting yeah. camps. Or I believe that that bus was originally drug out there for the guys that were building the Alaska Road Commission that were building the road. It was their housing for. Oh, gotcha. Uh, as I understand it, because they were building uh, a road into the park and into the the mineral fields back there more than anything. You know, there's back there in, uh, I think it's called Diamond, Alaska, there's a lot of uh, different minerals that they had, had intended to really develop and didn't fill yeah, through. Yeah, interesting. There's another really nice bus that the coal miners drug up to the head of the Healy River. You might may or may not I have haven't been, been to that before. one. Anyhow... When I first came into the country in the early 90s, they were both sustainable and nice. I mean, yeah. the one on the Upper Healy was really nice. The coal miners that drug it up there, they did a nice job. It had a nice propane drip stove. Mm-hmm. It had a nice low propane cook stove. They had made four nice bunks, four nice tables with uh, out inside the bus, and it was deluxe. They've both just been vandalized to pieces over the year, which is... Yeah, that's the unfortunate sad thing. To, sad to to witness and watch. You know, is uh, there isn't a, wasn't a window left in one of them. Jeez, and uh, unbelievable. You know, for nothing else. You know, that's kind of I you know I I would I feel like when I'm out in the sticks and you come across a cabin something like that, like respect. You don't. You know, if you need to use it, use it. But you don't. I don't understand the 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 short-sightedness or whatever you want to call it of vandalizing stuff like that because sometimes someone's going to need that thing to be up and running and functional and right you know it's kind of the same thing like like you you don't screw with other people's shit that you find you know a four-wheeler or something parked somewhere out in the middle of nowhere or a boat or you like you don't or gas cans on the side of the river or something like that you don't screw with other people's shit because they might need it and right you know, maybe someday you you know, you might be the one that gets screwed with and and be literally up shit creek without a paddle. <laughs> right, and that one on the Healy, like I said, it was real nice. And you're sheep hunting from the bus, so if it's shitty, you got windows all around you. Yeah, <laughs> and you're literally in the middle of sheep country. You could shoot Man. one out one of the windows at any given time. Wow, that's a pretty neat setup. It, uh, it's always impressed me that stuff like that, the effort that some of them guys went through to get stuff certain places around, you know, everywhere on state. And, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I know guys talked about finding old, you know, walking through places up in the middle of the Brooks range, you know, that they flew their plane into and thinking, oh man, you know, I wonder when the last time a person walked up this Canyon and then there, <laughs> there's a freaking, uh, you know, pickaxe head with a, the handles rotted away, leaning against a, leaning against a boulder or right. something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a, uh, well, there, there's been, th- those old timers were just, you think about it, they were so freaking tough, man. The, the, there's an old guy that built, he just died a few years ago, old guy, Al Cunningham built a stone cabin with his father back in the 60s in the Lowerwood River, about six miles below my camp. And he was telling me stone this, cabin, a stone cabin. Yeah, he they had uh, they had gone up the Healy River and they were going to go over Cody Pass with the Range Rover, bunch of supplies, and the Range Rover's motor bit the dust in Cody Pass. Oh, 
So they packed all their stuff. They were going to build a log cabin, log mm-hmm. spikes. You know, sea rats in those days, there wasn't no mountain house. Yeah. You, you were packing some, some heavy stuff. I think he said they did a half dozen trips, and, and it was a long way one way. It's yeah. a good 15, 16 miles one way to where they're going to build. Down. And it's not like down a tree in a, no, a, no. a, a groomed walking tree. Right, yeah. right. And uh, they got down there, and he said, we were just going to, we decided we would just bring the logs in by ourselves like horses with brute strength. And he goes about four logs into it. We figured that isn't going to work. No. So they dug Is, is that out. up above Timberline where they're? No, they're actually down in the timber, but they found where they were going to build. Uh, it's that real schisty Alaska range rock that you, it's, yeah. you can take it apart and unstack it. And they built, you know, the, the two sidewalls, half of the sidewalls are, rock that they pulled off the hill mm-hmm. the whole front wall was rock they pulled out of the hill uh they encased a couple of uh 55 gallon resealable drums like the old timers use all the time to put yeah. all their supplies stoves and food and stuff in is a neat setup uh and they did that all in like a month <laughs> a summer. lot of work you know, oh my god yeah <laughs> neat old cabin it's falling apart now it's it's fallen into disrepair which is yeah. Which is, you know, the inevitability of a place like that. But it was, it's a neat little cabin, man. Yeah, I, I for some reason, I, I don't know. You probably, I mean, you've probably been all, sh- surely been all over that country. I'd kind of like to go try and find where old uh, Frank, Frank Glasser's Glazer is his cabin on the Savage. I don't know if there's anything left of it. I, there's nothing left of it anymore. But yeah. I know, like I. Pretty much right where it should, you know, what where it was. I don't know if you could even tell that there was something there. But. Uh, when I first came into the country, you could barely tell it was there. But, yeah, yeah. it's right down by where Fish Creek comes into the Savage. Because yep. he, he had two. Did he have that one? And he had one that was not too far from that park that I think they have park service still has Yeah, a I cabin. think they have one that, yeah. Because yep. remember he talked about there, he was, you know, so far from that down downstream from that park service cabin. Because, you know, where he built that one was right outside even the park right. boundary back then. Yeah. And uh, I was just fa- just fascinating. I mean, just, yeah, nonch. <laughs> go out there and, oh, put up a tent and build a cabin. Right. And then end up living there for 10 years, you know, or however long he was out there. No bug dope. No No cortex. bug dope. Nope. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I can... I, I genuinely, I wonder what, whether guys just used, you know, greased themselves up and wore long clothes. I mean, it just sounds miserable. Right. I mean, it's miserable now with, with bug dope, you right. know, sometimes the amount of mosquitoes. But guys did it. They're just, just way tougher than me. That's right. Every generation, we're getting a little more watered down. You know, I remember, well, in, in him in particular, reading that book, you know, talked about, when he first walked walked up from Valdez, getting to salt, you know, woke up and was in salt jacket and walked all the way to Fairbanks in one day in ten hours. It was like forty miles or thirty right. some miles. <laughs> yep, just a di- skipping along, skipping along. Yep, end of a, end of a long journey. But yeah, it's. Uh, I just think it's cool to be able to live here and kind of go see you know stuff changes but be able We're to still see the, the last same, frontier by a long yeah, shot still be able to see the same country that that some of these these old timers did and they said stuff changes some stuff's gotten wilder than it was back in some of those days you know they talk about all the 
all the mush and mail trails and right. stuff like that that had people going all over them, you know, or even, you know, back to that whole stupid Anwar debate, you know, right. people, oh, no one's ever set foot on this. Well, you know, they seismic surveyed it in the 80s, right? you know, the whole thing or that, that whole area. But that, I mean, that's just one example, but it's, and, or all the mine, un, you know, untold miners that right. went out into various stuff that there's just no trace of it left. It's pretty cool how the country swallows stuff back up eventually. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, the oil companies are doing a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. Man. They're building ice roads and building ice pads, and they're being real delicate to the tundra. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I had a pretty good rant a few, <laughs> a few episodes ago on on that. It's um, It's just... They're making the regulations and stuff, you know. Oh yeah. Well, as far as uh, they're killing, they kill our industry, man. And uh, I thought for sure President Trump was evidence that God still loves us, man. I hope he can bring him back because it's a wreck with what they the, the regulations and the stupidity that 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 comes with uh it's gonna it's you know and it's you know some people don't like it when you you might disagree with them politically and you know it's well but th there's no stuff got better in a lot of ways oh hell you yeah, know in the, in the past four years like some of the, like our state needs that needs that industry and it's not to say you know there's there's certainly projects that it shouldn't be done, but like we need some of that industry, and there's ways to do it that are right. low impact and are going to help everybody out, you know. So, yeah, just another another source of frustration to get me get me just wanting to go sheep hunting, go there, there you go. <laughs> go run around, right. go run around in the mountains. Um, have you ever had any? Uh, well, I'd say, have you ever? What's probably you ever been in a real bad spot sheep hunting, like? you know things you've learned as far as whether i don't know whether it's gear or just maybe just dumb mistakes you have made that puts you in a bad spot sheep hunting weather rolls in stuff like that i mean any real gnarly close call type stuff i took a real bad fall in the brooks range chasing a wounded ram when i was working for another outfitter in the yeah. late 80s was my worst one and and uh you know, compared to all the other mountain ranges, the Brooks Range is pretty gentle, but there are some spots up there that kill you as bad as any other, yep. obviously. And uh, just not being careful and trying to close on this animal that a guy had wounded and uh, fell a long ways and surprisingly was young enough to not have sustained anything significant. Well, that's good. And, and make it back. Didn't get the ram, I'm sad to report, but... I got back, so yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. Yep, yeah, that's that's the important part. Yeah, yeah. I always, I just, I like asking because I, uh, yeah, it's not to not to play up sheep hunting as being more dangerous than it is. Cause, but but there's some very real risks and whether it's sheep hunting, moose hunting, right? Anything goat hunting's typically worse. Yeah, and, I, and I've had a couple of <laughs> ugly, ugly encounters goat hunting. Uh, one real spooky one down in Yakutat. Yeah, and uh, goat country's scary, man. <laughs> yeah, they make sheep look like flatlanders. Yep, and uh, yeah, and you can run into some pretty ugly terrain in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. real, real fast. Yep, but uh, yeah, and. and you ever had any, uh, what kind of tents do you guys pack in there? 
That's what I'm gonna say. Like what it was for because you probably afforded some amenities with oh yeah, that well, the horses I, can bring. Huh? <clears throat> when we're packing around the horses, we're just carrying a nice three or four season mountain tent yeah. like you guys would. Uh, I I really like those new Kuyu tents are real nice. Yeah, I've wondered. I haven't used one they're myself, nice but I, I like light the look durable, of them. But over the years, I've used North Face is VE twenty five primarily is what I've used. Mm-hmm. It's my tent with the horses. It's not not an issue. I got plenty of room for it. But <clears throat> just a good three season, four season mountain tent. Yeah, and uh, you know when it's on, it's on. It's just. <laughs> You suffer through it, you know. Yep. I've, uh, I, I've always said, uh, embrace the struggle. That's another one of my mottos. And and sheep hunters embrace struggle. Yeah, we don't mind. Yep. And once you're up in sheep, or country, you put yourself in a situation where you ain't got no choice but to embrace yeah. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> my wife and some of my friends think I embrace struggle too much, but keeps keeps you going man you got the sheep hunting is and goat hunting even more so you got to have drive yep especially when it's day nine or ten and you've just been pounding yourself to pieces and wondering how many more how many more stocks i mean i don't for me especially the first few years it was all and it's still it seems like every time i even you know whether it's driving through the mountains or heading out sheep hunt for the first time it's like holy shit i don't remember them being this big right Right. still it's still a little intimidating but i just you know over the i would use i used to like man i hope i can can find one and get it you know get one on the first stock or whatever so i don't have to suffer that much and you know i've just gradually over the years come to accept that it's just gonna suck you know right just gonna but i'm but you can you gain confidence in that you know when you you do it enough that you know that you don't have to be in, in fantastic. You don't have to be a super athlete or anything. It's you're just putting one foot in front of the other and, and not got to have drive. Yeah. yeah. Just got to have drive. Yep. Um, what, uh, I was going I meant to ask you earlier, what kind of feed, you know, back to the horses, what, what kind of feed do you have to bring them? Or I, you know, I was, I've always wondered that, like what, what can they? Can, is there a lot of stuff that they can kind of snip on? Oh yeah, while they you're do. The they field? do pretty good out there, man. They'll eat willow, uh, a lot, all the grasses and sedges out there. They, yeah. they love the pea vine and the lupin that grow in the river bottoms, and that's good, high nutritious legumes that they do real yeah. good on. But just like us, when you're working them hard, you got to feed them, you know, yeah. and and. Uh, both hay and pellets and grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to keep them healthy going into winter. You want to try and keep them fat and not have them all boned up. And yeah. just like with people, as they get older, they get harder and harder to keep in shape. Yeah. Are there any types of um, characteristics you look for in certain horses to you? You know, because I'm sure every every horse is a little bit different, and you know, stuff you you look for to make them for a good mountain horse i mean i remember hearing all sort of stories of particular horses my uncles had and uh the ones that have always been real popular up in the north country for hunting is uh draft crosses like a belgian or percheron cross mm-hmm. and that's your big heavy work horses crossed with a great animal or now a, a couple of breeds that have become real popular is the norwegian fjord and the uh Austrian halflinger, and they're like miniature draft horses. Yeah. And they're just tougher than hell. And uh, 
the Norwegian fjords, they say you can keep them fat on a snowball a day. They're just incredible little animals, mm. man, and they'll eat about anything. Oh, nice. Yeah, they'll eat dwarf birch. Yeah, that's nice to be able, it's got to be nice to be able to not not have to bring their entire right. diet, you know, bring some stuff to supplement, but yeah. be able to have them eat Supplement and a treat to keep them around, because we turn them loose a lot when we're mm-hmm. out there. You'll turn half of them loose, mm-hmm. but every time they cycle through, if you feed them, they'll cycle through Yeah, two or three times a day. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of them. They'll always come back. Yep. No. And uh, I was trying, I was thinking of a particular story, but I, I lost. They the, keep your feet train. dry on yep. the river crossings. That's yeah, the best that's part a, about them. That's a big one because their, their legs are a little bit longer yeah. than, longer than ours. And sometimes, yeah, them, some of those glacial river crossings are, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a lot of water. You know, you think, oh, well, as long as I can, you know, keep my, keep my chest above the water you know right. i'll be fine but it doesn't take a lot of water to become pretty dangerous to right. cross on foot knock you right off your feet anytime yeah. you get above your belt buckle you're playing with fire and those well, yeah. swift rivers or even you know i mean yeah right about there I, I i haven't been been above the belt buckle too many times but there's been a couple times where you're just uh, just teetering right on the edge of being you can feel yourself being swept down and yeah you know, I've I started years ago carrying those those trekking poles, primary. Yeah. You know, for packing heavy weight, I like them for packing heavy weight and for crossing crossing right. creeks. You can get across pretty uh, uh, quite a bit nastier creek than you would be able to just using. Right, and they feet. change sometimes when we're up there hunting. Man, I've had some situations where stuff you crossed earlier in the day was about mid calf, and you come back and and it's up to your thighs or worse well yeah and, and he, then you got a heavy pack on now you yeah cross that because yeah, back that stuff you guys are hunting all glacial fed yeah. stuff you know strategically trying to plan your crossings for the right you know the low time what's you know or usually early in the morning or or whatever before that melt water starts catching up and bringing it back up mm-hmm. i mean not some of the one creek me and my buddy frank were on words i remember it would be it'd be crystal clear in the morning and black by one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, just the, the melt off, the runoff was running through some kind of black mineral, you know, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a guy from Minnesota one year, we got a really nice sheep and we were going back in a creek that we had crossed earlier in the day, wasn't much over our ankles is now raging up over our knees or worse. And, uh, I, I was coaching him on, just be careful. And I tried to do a little rock hop. Didn't oh, work out. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, I'm in the surf yeah. with a heavy pack yeah. full of sheep on, and, and the the crick's just raging over the top of me. I was able to get on my feet and crawl out the other side, and, and of course, he's wide-eyed, and I said, don't do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. I did that to show you what not to right. do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that type of deal. Yeah, Jumping or losing contact. I mean, I I probably would be called be called some some effeminate names watching me cross some creeks. But man, just any time you break contact, some in some of those right. some of those creeks. You just, know what I do now is I carry my Crocs all the time for creek crossing, and if I have to, I take my pants off or you know yeah. up over the knees. Put your boots and your socks on top of your pack. Yeah, strap your Crocs down tight and go for it. Yeah, you got the super four wheel drive Crocs. I see the the adjustable adjustable yep. strap. That's probably probably the way to go. I know 
that's what Frank's been doing lately for a few years. I would I would pack those over those yeah, hip overshoe hip boots, the glacier and, socks. Yeah, uh, the uh, these ones were like river river trekkers. The Neos they had an actual rubber sole, so you could walk in them for a oh, ways. Yeah. They're miserable, but you know I don't know now. I'm kind of re questioning whether I want to pack those around everywhere, or just wear Crocs and strip. Right. Take my pants off and and wait. It you know that's probably the way to go. <laughs> Rather, yeah, the Crocs are light and they take up no room. No room, and I'm I bring my Crocs anyway. Right. You know, it's just it's it's really nice to have a camp shoe. You know, at the end of the day, I think my feet do better when I'll take right. my boots off and can just kind of them out and put them up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Taking care, keep taking care of your feet. Such a huge deal for any of that type of stuff too. You know, it's. People make fun of Crocs till they till they use them on something right. like that. Then there ain't no more right. there ain't no more jokes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm gonna have to get a set of those. Those are pretty. Those are pretty slick. Do you get any rocks coming in the holes on the oh, side? Oh yeah, on occasion, <laughs> but but they're well worth it, man. And uh, and there's you know they don't take up any space. No, and those ones, those look like they got a little the, bit. These are for deck. These are for boat, actually. I believe is what they designed for. That's a good grip. Got a nice, yeah, their, nice sole. Soles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of a rubber sole on there. That's pretty. Yeah, I was picking up a a, a dear old hunter of mine that hunted with me a lot uh, years ago at the airport when these were pretty new in Fairbanks, and I standing at the baggage carousel with him and uh he looks down on my feet and he goes coke wallace when did you start liking little boys <laughs> and and i'm like what what gives doc and, and he goes those shoes and he made some disparaging comments about them and and i look around and there's all these dudes looking down at my shoes and they all got crocs on they're looking at their shoes and their eyes are glancing around and i'm like yeah no i'm still just a straight old boring monogamous heterosexual <laughs> oh man yeah that uh not the yeah the crocs are the butt of a lot of jokes but they're they're, they're the way to go the first time i saw them i was making fun of one of the young ladies that worked for my wife and i at the uh when we were doing the trail rides yeah little gal had on a purple pair and i was laughing at him and she's a fiery little gal and she took it off and fired it at me you know and i was like holy <laughs> moses a shoe coming in and you catch it like holy Weighs nothing. Yeah, I went to town and found a pair the next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're slick, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna have to get on those. But um, let's see, how much more? Or what did, when do you guys start grizzly hunting in the spring? April. Usually about April, April, yeah. mid April, they start popping out. Yeah. I, depending on conditions, I like to try and do a snowmobile hunt or two mm-hmm. south side of the range and down into the Talkeetna Mountains because. <clears throat> some years it's just some it's like you can't do wrong and then yeah and then some years it's like holy moses where are the bears at yeah <laughs> it's a timing thing on that on those april hunts man sometimes they're just popping like unbelievable and sometimes you go a long time and look at a lot of country to find one yeah well they don't you know typically i think they'll that's kind of what I hear of that, and I've I haven't done that particular you know sn- snow machine start spring spring grizzly hunt. I don't think there's a lot of time between you know they may hang around the den a little bit when they first pop, but once they make tracks, man, they're headed for lower country pretty much 
as far as I understand. You're trying to catch them. Yeah, you're trying to catch them. But, you know, I, they're, they're animals are just as much individuals as we are. Mm-hmm. And some of them will hang out at their den sometimes for four or five or six or more days. Yeah. Uh, especially if they've got a kill close by. Mm-hmm. And depending on what the nights are doing, you know, sometimes it can be pretty cold during the night in April and then it warms up during the day when we're getting all that sun. Yeah. And if they got something close to their den, they'll actually come and go, I've had that opportunity work out for me a few times. Uh, And sometimes, man, they just get, like you said, they'll hit the ground running and some of those guys go on a moose murdering rampage. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible how... uh you know, we're talking that I think before we started recording where just how hard some of them, especially individual bears, you know, I mean, a lot of them in, in general, they'll kill, they'll kill moose and they're pretty good at it. But there's some bears, I think that are really good at killing moose. Oh yeah. You know, that's their thing. Right. And I think they've, they've, they've been asleep for five to seven <laughs> months and they're like, I need to hone my predator skills if I'm going to eat well this summer. Yep. I was guiding a spring hunt for the Branhams back in the mid '80s, and I was chasing this bear around, and he was just whacking moose left and right, and I we couldn't catch him to save our lives. We were chasing him on snowshoes, mm-hmm. you know, which ain't much of a chase. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and uh, finally, there was a moose I think that had given him a bad time. He had he roughed him up good, but he hadn't killed him. Yeah, and he would come back and cat and mouse him. So we said, oh, well, he's going to come back. We're just going to sit here. Watch this And it worked still. out, yeah. And he came back to see if he had gotten weakened for to the finish. I I think the moose probably got a good shot in on him, and he was waiting for him to stiffen up a little more or something. Yeah. But we used it to our advantage. But prior to that, he was uh, knocking moose down like no problem. Yeah, well, I know some of the, and it's been pretty pretty enlightening or pretty cool to see some of those recent fishing games like camera collar studies where they you know literally are counting how many cab moose and caribou calves some of these bears are killing like 40 40 or 50 of them in a spring wow yeah i mean just knocking the living daylights out of them you know which is i think why you know i'm all for in part of that that article i wrote that you referenced earlier you know it's kind of I think that was the one, the one I think you're talking about that, you know, we, something about basically, you know, you're not all, you don't always salvage the meat, you know, it doesn't just because you're, you may not be taking the meat from a particular animal for your consumption doesn't mean that that's like a wasteful, a wasteful thing to do, you know, as far as, you know, predators, wolves, coyotes, or you know, I'm sure sometimes grizzly bear meat's fine to eat. None of the ones I've tried have been any, I mean, stink up the kitchen, cook them. I'm sure it, it, If they're full of berries in the fall, yeah. then a, a, a spring bear isn't going to ever be worth eating, I wouldn't think. But I've I've eaten a lot of bear that when you shoot them in the fall and they're stained blueberries from their gums to their yeah. bum, yeah. they're good, you yeah. know. Uh, but primarily the predators ain't that good. The cats are good to eat. Yeah. I like lynx cat, but... Yeah, the, some of the old guys I trapped with, they like to eat beaver and muskrat and porcupine. Well, yeah. when you're a good hunter, why would you, I mean, if you're starving, that's fine. But yeah. we got sheep and moose steaks. I'm not eating porcupine or yeah. muskrat. <laughs> you have your own free will. Right. But no, I mean, I think, yeah, it, 
managing those things and clipping off, especially, you know, some of these older, you know, boars and sows, like some of the sows are good at it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not certainly not harmful to the bear population, you know, where I've been killing them, you know, there's as many grizzlies or more than there has been. They're just missing some bears that I think have been killing a lot of moose calves. You know, there's, there was, you start seeing sows with three cubs, you know, bringing three cubs all the way up to kicking them out. Right. You know, that didn't, you know, I hadn't ever seen that in that area. You know, part of that's because some of them boars that are killing all the moose are killing the cubs oh, right, too. Right, right. So, you know, it's, you could argue, you know, I mean, it's a, it just is beneficial as I see it or way a lot of us are where the state's supposed to manage manage the wildlife for uh for sustainable yield you know it's a good thing if that that's the end goal to manage manage bears too and they're sure a lot of fun to hunt man they're right there's something else yeah even manage for abundance yeah why not yeah and they're they're, i mean it's and when you're especially when you're not you're not axing all of them you know you're being fairly selective and whatnot it's good for the bear population as well yep so yeah, that that bear hunting's a lot of fun. I get I'm already starting to look forward to it. I try to We still got some winter left, some fun stuff to do right. left this winter, but uh and uh the other thing, yeah, the other thing I was going to before we get out of here, I want to talk to you about retrievers a little bit. You still work with dogs much or do I do. do some yeah. do some waterfowl hunting still? I don't do as much as I'd like to do because of my job when we were kids growing up, man. I used to uh hunt the Delta Barley project all the time. Yeah. Healy Lake. had mm-hmm. lots of friends that had cabins and stuff at Healy Lake. And from the time I was a young teenager, we'd go down there a lot. Uh, always have a Chesapeake guy. I've, I like Labradors, too. I've had some mm-hmm. labs. Uh, my wife's got a really cool little yellow lab coyote right now. That's an interesting dog. But uh, the Chesapeakes, and they can just, they like the cold water. I, I did... Uh, guided waterfowl hunts for about the first decade I was in business for mm-hmm. myself down in Prince William Sound. We'd get done with our gig in the interior and put the horses away, and then we'd go down to uh, Prince William Sound. Mm-hmm. And, uh, did a lot of sea duck hunting, you know, and that's what those Chesapeake's are are great for ocean retrieving, man. They're tough, tough. It's like a four-wheel drive Labrador, you know. Yeah, my uncle, he, he always, you know, talked about just how how tough and resilient those those chassis are at that kind of that kind of thing it was it was interesting because i that one he had he was baby was one of his best dogs i think Uh and i still when i when we first moved up here and i was a teenager she was still i think she was she finally died or he had her put down when she was like 16 i think just age old you know blind right. but she'd still come tearing out of her kennel if she heard you drop the action on a shotgun right. yeah <laughs> you know that was and that's something i never i never got into real big up here waterfowl hunting mostly because i it's you know right during moose season and right it, it's fun i enjoyed it when i was a kid in colorado i, I remember the first time it was it wasn't with baby it was with missy who was i think baby's pup um is the and she was kind of in her prime. Jerry took me goose hunting. The first goose I killed killed up here, I'm like, what the hell is this thing? It's like a big yeah, duck. Right. Because <laughs> we had those those greater Canadians where I grew up, the 
big stinking birds, like uh-huh. 15 pounds or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, something. There's plenty of things I could get into and just really dive headfirst into and, and eat up a lot of my time. Right. <laughs> I've had to, I've had to kind of pick my pick my stuff over the years. Like I always, I always picked sheep hunting over, you know, that's what Anything. I focused on. Right. And then, and then that's why I was always just a, a town, take what I can get moose hunter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I've, the, the dogs, it's just fun to watch the dogs work. And, and like you said, uh, the moose hunting, it's real fun right until the last picture's taken. Yep. And then, you know, <laughs> it's all work. Whereas, uh, with the bird hunting, the fun, uh, the fun to work ratio is a lot right. better. <laughs> yeah, you get to keep pulling the trigger, and the dog does work, and it's fun to watch a good dog work. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm on like my my fifth Chesapeake of the same lineage. I've kept a runt female out of every litter for five oh, generations cool. now, man. And uh, yeah, I've had a lot of good times, man. There's nothing like hunting over a dog. Yeah. Uh, and I've been doing a little more in recent times. Uh, not as much as I'd like, but I, I trained a friend's uh, Chesapeake for him this fall. A, a buddy of mine that's a guide in the Brooks Range left his dog with me for about five weeks. And uh, and then I went down and hunted over in Juneau. And uh, I'd never been to Juneau. They got some good duck hunting right down there, right inside the town. Oh, you know, nice. You, you have to do a, a little test on the computer for the Mendenhall refuge permit, but... Uh, you're hunting right in the capital, you know. It's pretty cool. It was good duck hunting. No, that's cool. Yeah, yeah some of that seed I kind of like. I want to get out on the either you know out on the peninsula and some of those like right. Brant and Pacific Eider Kodiak. Good, yeah. We because yep. where uh, yeah where I end up meeting Frank was at this lodge on a Fognac Island and uh-huh. going down there for a few years shot quite a few ducks, but we never really like duck hunted and we weren't really right. duck hunting we were kind of jump shooting and and stuff like that you know whereas i've always thought it'd be a, just a hoot to 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 go real duck hunting right get some decoys and and decoys and a dog and do it right yeah or uh have you ever been out king eider hunting a long time ago uh i did some of that when i w- was working for other outfitters before i went on my own yeah uh, and I've done some for myself on Kodiak. And I've been going out to Kodiak to a buddy's place since the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Pretty steady every year right after Thanksgiving. I missed a few years here and there, but we go out for a week of deer hunting. And sometimes we throw the duck hunting in on it. They got some cool, cool birds out cool there. Cool birds yeah. and a pretty wide variety of yeah. them. Some, sometimes stuff you wouldn't expect to see out there. Yeah. Yeah. And those seabirds are pretty. Yeah, Real they are birds. They are, you know, and I didn't, I don't know, maybe I was ignorant. I was shocked when I went a, a few summers back, I uh, saw a harlequin on one of these rivers around here. And I, di- you know, I didn't realize like, apparently they come nest. Yeah, they nest in, the in really fast rivers. That's what I see them spring bear hunting all the time up in the uh, Watanas and the Talkeetnas, yeah. especially a little stream half the width of your room here. You'll you'll find them in, and it's wow. a swift run and son of a gun in the spring. All the snow melt, and yeah, they're in there. I couldn't believe it. I thought I'd I thought I'd seen something special, but right. <laughs> apparently not. But yeah, they're those are those are pretty ducks too. I really they yeah. remind me of a wood duck. Yeah. Kind of that same yeah. kind of shaped head and cool colors, but uh, yeah. 
Well, we probably I'll probably wrap this up and let you All get right, going. Brother. But you got any you got any any parting thoughts? I sure appreciate you appreciate you coming by, and it's good to finally get to have some face to face and get to know you a little bit and hear some stories. And yeah, well, we'll have to do it again sometime. I'm I'm glad that uh, I found you. Yeah, <laughs> no help from Sirius, but yeah, uh, yeah no, it's a yeah, it's a little bit of a little. You can either take the the terribly the the sketchy route up or the one that's real confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't need a GPS or my smart ass phone. I can still do it on my own, so that's good. yep. That's 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 truth. I didn't have to send a rescue party, for right? Me, so, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Coke. Hey, man, I'll see you good again. Talking to you. Yep. Yeah. You all too. All right. If uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, appreciate it. If you you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on, if you want to leave a bad one, that's okay too. So, all right. Thanks for listening.